0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Cam Speedy is Cam Speedy. Cam Speedy is this force of nature out of New Zealand. He lives outside of Lake Taupo in New Zealand, and he essentially is the heartbeat of the Seeker Foundation. He, I don't know if he's the chairman or not, but he's part of the committee with a bunch of volunteers that volunteer their time to go into the Kaimanoas where the Seeker were originally released and protect specifically the native Fio, which is the national blue duck of New Zealand, with putting trap lines in place. Thanks to Dick R.S. Coop and Bagara International, through Blood Origins, we were able to fund an entire trapping line and for the most part, A lot of the Seeker Foundation's work in 2023. The project is hunter-led conservation. And New Zealand is actually the forefront of hunter-led conservation efforts in the world, arguably. These guys are going into these backcountry watersheds, putting in the mahi, as they say, the work, to trap stoats, rats, mice, to protect their native fauna which then protects their native flora. They're also hunting at the same time, reducing deer populations, making the deer herd healthier, which makes the forest healthier. An incredible conversation with an incredible couple of days with Cam Speedy, as well as Tim, the first real hire within the Seeker Foundation. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Little Origins, and that reason is simple: is that I wanted to convey the truth about
2: hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My, name.
1: A- <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Rex, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Pretty good for a podcast, Virgin.
2: Wow, well, I'll take it. I'll take it.
1: So, beautiful weather in the Kaimanawas. was...
3: <laughs> well it is Montane Beach Forest. We are in the hills.
2: Yep. Very so, fitting.
3: But Montane Beach that's what I was saying. Isn't this it
1: feels I've never been in Southeast Alaska. Have you been in Southeast
3: Alaska in the coastal rainforest? It almost feels coastal rainforesty. at latitude, it's probably not too far from what this would be. Our rainforest, our temperate rainforest is a little bit lower in altitude but not much. In the Kaikoura, was in the northwest, there is rainforest. Um, you out, wouldn't consider this rainforest. Well, I guess so, but we're just slightly just higher. because it's
1: raining right now, and there's a forest around us. We're <laughs> we're
3: slightly higher <laughs> in elevation, so we're into the montane. The beaches are considered montane forest, mm. not temperate um, rainforest. But
1: and I have have the beech forests here been cleared from a forestry perspective? Does DOC come in here and and harvest beech trees, or they're just no, this There's is no such thing here in this, New Zealand.
3: This is what we call in New Zealand virgin bush. It's never been logged. It's never been logged. No. Mm. So you've got 200 300-year-old trees in here. Yes. And natural regeneration. Natural regeneration albeit um the ecosystems are changing in the last 100 200 years because of new mammals being brought here by people.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tim, you've uh, grown up in this area? Ah uh, yes,
2: I grew up in Oh still a bit loud No, you're fine, you're fine. Cool. Just gonna <coughs> adjust to your level, yep. Yes, I grew up in Hamilton. My parents were How from far is Hamilton from here? So yeah, from Topol, it's about a two and a half hour drive. Okay. Yep. Parents were from Tomatanui. Um yes, a father was a bushman. Um
1: Your father was a bushman? What does that mean?
2: Uh spent a lot of time hunting. Okay. Yes, yep. Okay. Yep, yes, I'm the youngest of three brothers, so we were introduced to hunting from a very young age. Um, yeah, so that was sort of my introduction to hunting and um, the outdoors generally. Yep.
0: Hmm.
1: Is that a a a common thing? Do you think here in New Zealand that people are, or maybe let me ask you this: one is it common for kids, male, female, doesn't matter, to be exposed to hunting, and then two, is that shifting?
2: Um, I think that is a huge percentage of hunters. Yeah, definitely brought in from either family, friends. For me, it was a cousin. My father didn't hunt, mm.
3: but um, he had a he had a cousin, um, that taught me how to hunt initially, mm. uh, and I've taught my kids because I yep. loved it. So yeah, I think family, yes. family and close family friends tend to. And I've brought family friends into the hunting fold as well because their parents didn't hunt.
1: Is there any survey data to show whether or not the people coming to hunting in New Zealand
3: is waning, waxing, or staying the same? I think in the last 10 years, we've seen a huge resurgence in woman hunting. There's been a lot more girls hunting, Uh, and I think generally overall, the abundance of game we have in New Zealand at the moment is uh, my impression is that hunting is enjoying a bit of a resurgence after a a lull uh, after the helicopter days, the commercialisation of our game resources and the numbers got very low, people got a bit frustrated with the lack of success Mm. and so I think hunting did go through a a bit of a a decline for a while but Mm. I think that's turned around and it's changing now, eh?
2: Yes, yep. It's definitely what I see in the scrub, this new... This new generation of youngsters coming through, um, yeah, like you say, Cam, That's that probably does reflect the um, increase in numbers that we're having. Increased opportunity, yep. increased success. Yep. Mm. Yeah, mm.
1: definitely. Well, we are uh, coming live from, let me see if I remember what you said yesterday, <laughs> the central plateau on the North Island in the Kaimanawas is a mountain chain here in central plateau of South Island. Uh, North Island, and where the original seeker deer were released. Great. Cam Speedy, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. This, this podcast, what was it, six months ago, eight months ago, started this journey to land me here
3: <laughs> in, your, in your heart, as you say. All right. Introduce yourself, Cam. So I'm Cam Speedy, I'm a sixth generation New Zealander of Scottish origin. Um, I've grown up in the central North Island, hunting and fishing has always been my passion, ecology has always been what drives me, Um, it's my superpower, I have an ability to see how nature connects and that's what I do for a living, thank goodness I've been (coughs) able to follow follow that passion all my life, all my career.
1: And Tim, welcome to the Blood Origin podcast. Your first podcast ever.
2: Yes, yes. Thank you, Robbie.
1: Yeah. Uh, introduce yourself. What you do? Who you are?
2: Cool. Yep, So my name's Tim Moll, uh project manager for Seeker Foundation. So, what does that mean? Yeah. So I basically, yeah, I'm in the seat to just help, help sort of Uffie, um, yeah, which is Maori for support. The Seeker Foundation with their um goals. Yeah. So Tim
3: is our um only paid employee uh, as a as a foundation. So he's he's our project manager. It's his job mm-hmm. to coordinate the activities mm-hmm. of the Seeker Foundation from an operational perspective. Tim,
2: you married? Uh engaged. Engaged. <laughs> yes, Congratulations. Yes. When's the big Thank day? You. Yeah, so either next summer or the following one, just depending on... Holy
1: shit, what a long engagement. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> life, life,
2: Hello. yep, kids, and yeah, we're looking to build a house pretty soon, so... You have kids already? Yes, yep, yep. How many kids? Yes, yeah, so we've got two, a six-year-old and a and a beautiful little um, 14-month-year-old girl. Well, so, two girls? Uh, one boy, yep. Okay. Yep, the young one's a girl, so Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting balance, as you would know, you know, trying to navigate work, life, relationships. 100%. Um, yep. And then when you've got a passion like hunting, you know, where you here you want to get out here. Does your wife hunt? Uh, yes, she does. Yep. Okay. Yep.
3: Well, that helps a little bit. Cam, your partner hunts? No, she doesn't. Uh, when I met her, she was a vegetarian.
2: Nice.
1: Uh, <laughs> I <don't
3: know> how <laughs> but she's seen... Uh, the ethics of wild harvested or organically grown mm. meat and mm. we, so we live on five acres we grow our own um, food including lambs pigs chickens we hunt um, my family hunts my, myself and my daughter particularly mm-hmm. we shoot venison and Anya um, eats meat that she knows the source of the product and knows that it's it em- came from how it and lived environmentally and socially safe food yep that's she's a naturopath <laughs> Massage therapist, yoga, Pilates instructor. So, health is really important to her, and food provenance is really important to her. So, knowing where an, uh, a, a piece of meat comes from mm-hmm. has turned her from a vegetarian to a a reluctant meat eater. She she yeah, kno- yeah. she knows that meat is an important part of our diet for for growing our kids. Our kids are strapping young kids, very strong, very healthy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a reflection of the food they eat. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we are here in the Kaimanawas because uh, luckily Bergara International, Dekaris Coop said, hey, we're looking for good conservation projects all around the world. And uh, we had been chatting. I knew about the work that you guys had been doing from the Seeker Foundation and, and others like the Eastern Feolink and Link and Fjordland And I reached out and I said, man, do you have any, you know, what's your wish list? What does your budget look like for next year? And how can we help cover that? And you sent a proposal through and. We try to do as much as we possibly can on what you sent through, and it led to this. Um, so,
3: for those who don't know what the Seeker Foundation is, well, Seeker versus a Seeker, it's a deer. It's right. A, it's an Asian deer. Um, Seeker, the word Seeker, is Japanese for deer. Okay. Um, so, they're Asian deer that occur across Southeast Asia and Japan um, through Southeastern Russia. Um, and we have been blessed with them being brought to New Zealand and released in this area where they've thrived. You say blessed. They're, they're not native. Why would you say that? Ever since I saw my first seeker deer when I was a young man, uh, many, many years ago, I've just been fascinated by them. So I I find them incredibly engaging creatures. They're an amazingly vocal deer. Um they come with a consequence in New Zealand because they aren't native. They've All deer, all deer, all mammals, would you say, come with a consequence here? In New Zealand, all introduced mammals come with a consequence. Gotcha. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's about managing that consequence to try and maximise the social and cultural benefits they provide to our country in terms of getting people off the couch and into the into nature, into the hills, healthy sport, taking home healthy food to their families. Uh, and reconnecting them with something really important inside us all is Mother Earth, you know. Is that, a, is that, the, that sounds like, I know we've talked a lot about it, but that sounds
1: like the narrative that we should be championing. Instead of calling these non-mammal um, introduced species as pests, mm. we should be looking at them as <coughs> beneficial resources, that
3: require management Th- that's how 100%. i that's how i see it yeah, yeah. They, they're uh, introduced species that has a consequence the reason they were brought here because somebody saw them as a valuable resource mm. and we understand the consequence they have uh so it's uh, up to us to try and find the balance of that consequence with their resource value so i don't see them as a pest i see them as a just like people, humans are an introduced species t- to New Zealand, Tim, uh,
1: how do they manage deer here,
3: like all the species
1: right there's there's just a couple of management tools that you guys have at your disposal, I would assume
2: yeah, so in terms of nationally and historically um yeah, which cams spoken to previously um yeah the venison recovery um operations, yeah, that have sort of waned and busted.
1: Well, w- was that was just New Zealand's way of making money? There was just a resource on the landscape and they could go in and take it and make money from it? Yes,
2: yep, yep. Um, in recent years, since the collapse of that, it's basically just been on the recreational hunter. S- um, isolated pockets of funding through um, you know, certain DOC um, operational areas might have Doc a bit of money. DOC stands for? Department of Conservation. Okay. Yep, so they might have a bit of money which they... You know, decide. Hey, all right, we want to do a bit of deer management. Um, yeah, so it's very, it's very, very different across New Zealand.
3: Often the conservation spend is um, allocated on priority, so the mm. high value sites, high value biodiversity, biodiversity sites, sites yeah, will be favoured in terms of expenditure, and by default. The rest of New Zealand, there the money doesn't go far enough to do management everywhere. So, by default, there's nothing done in so many places. Um, Mm. So, so what is what are from a deer management perspective? What are the tools that Doc uses? Doc uses commercial helicopter recovery operations, uh, commercial um, non-recovery. Culling operations uh, uh, just as well, right? Yeah, so helicopters are paid to shoot deer and leave them. Okay. Yep. Um, there is also some ground-based professional hunters who go in on the ground with dogs and hunt deer. And then recreational hunters, 70,000 plus of us, mm. um, harvest by far the most kay. game animals in New Zealand. You, you left out one. 1080. Well, 1080's not registered in New Zealand as a deer control tool. Oh, okay, um, that's news to me. So so deer death as a result of eating um, 1080 baits dropped in our forests to target possums and rats is a, a bi-kill. Um, Do we know, statistics-wise, science-wise, what is that by kill It's highly variable from place to place around the history, the, the, the nature of the habitat, the species of deer... Um, 1080 kills on a uh, weight dose, body weight dose um, mm. basis. So large animals have to eat far more baits. But so you, you said to me that um, for
1: the most part, or maybe not for the most part, in certain areas, specifically this area in the Kaimana was, when a big mass crop year comes in and you got a boom-bust cycle in terms of the, th- the predators that you're looking to remove from the system, 1080 is a very important tool to help with that boom-bust. But you put a deer repellent
3: into the 1080. Correct. So, so uh, a coating goes on the pellet, which makes it unattractive to deer. It enhances its attractivity to rats and possums because they're both omnivores. Gotcha. The repellent is a blood product, so um, the pellets are coated in blood. Mm. Uh, and that makes it highly attractive to omnivores and quite repelling to herbivores mm. like deer. It's not to say no deer die, we do see a number of younger deer investigating, particularly seeker because they pick up leaves and mushrooms yeah, and yeah, fruit yeah. off the forest floor. Yep. That's how they forage, their, their forest forages. Mm-hmm. And so they, younger deer especially explore baits and because they're only little, they only need to eat one or two baits to get a lethal dose. Mm-hmm. And hunters do find some dead deer mm-hmm. but it's very much a bykill kill uh, from management that's targeted at particularly rats and year, which then drive a stoat population that kills our threatened native birds. So explain the system to those that
1: may not be familiar with it. Tim, why don't you just start with... So we, from Blood Origins and Bergara, we are investing in traps. Yes. We're specifically yep. investing in traps that are going in the landscape. Explain, w- one, what the trap is, explain what it does, and the purpose of the trap lines.
2: Yes. Uh... Right, so currently we've got 33 kilometres of trapping network through Kaimanawa and it's essentially, we're just doing the river corridors to create that um, yeah, that safe haven for fuel, Um What is a feel? So uh, it's a blue duck, it's our native blue duck. Um. Is it a
1: national duck? I've heard somebody say like it's our national duck. duck. It's not, right?
3: Well it occurs on it's our $10 s- note. Okay, it's yeah. on the $10 note. And uh, it's yes. in both islands. <laughs> um and it's only here it's an endemic to new zealand okay although there is a torrent duck in south america yep, which is very duck. yes nice. the only reason i told you i knew that was there's we are
1: um it's on pause right now but we're doing a documentary of a guy called henry springer that was probably had the largest bird taxidermy collection in the world went down to peru to collect the torrent duck and Fish and Wildlife Service at the time was undertaking a $6 million covert operation called Operation Journey to apprehend these bird taxidermists. Wow. Mm. But he was a German and had was like methodical in his note collections. And he's an engineer, everything. And we're building a story for you to decide. Like, was he a crook or did he have it all by the book? Because... The record will show that he did not have his (coughs) C-177 for the Peruvian torrent duck, but I've got film of the C-177 that the Fish and Wildlife Service returned to him of the Peruvian torrent duck. Wow. Anyway, little side note, (laughs) but that's how it's, I I knew, I was like, there's only another duck that I know of that lives in rapids, and that's where the Fio lives, like they love rapids,
2: right? Yes. Yes. This is an audio
1: medium you've got to talk to, you know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, getting there, getting there. (laughs) Yep, so 33 kilometres um, of river-based predator trapping to help the field in their habitat and their nesting. And it's essentially just a corridor, a safe haven. So obviously we don't have the resource to trap all of this landscape. It's huge, but it's just about creating that corridor of safety for them. And What do the traps look like? Yeah, so we use two types. So what's called a Dock 200, which is a box trap trap. yeah they're probably about 500 in length. The double sets are 600 yeah, 600 yep. mils. Yep and I've got two um, essentially a plate, um, yes, a pressure plates, grills with the bait placed in the middle. Entrance on both sides so basically with the intention of drawing uh, predators. Um, rats and stoats, um, yeah in particular stoats, they're the um, really really nasty threat to feel. So basically, with the bait in the middle, um, drawing them in, focused on the bait, hit that plate, whack, kill trap, they're out instantly, and the the purpose around the double set is getting that double kill, um, you know, you can get a rat that's coming, mm-hmm. and he's got hit, mm-hmm. and then the stoats after the rat comes on mm-hmm. the other side, bang, mm-hmm. and it just, it just means that that trap's got two kills in it, and you can get that. Added attraction of of that double hit.
1: Yeah. And from us, uh, go ahead, Cam.
2: No, it's fine. Yeah. yeah cool.
1: So the, the the traps themselves, Cam, obviously labour intensive, right? You can't just mm. let them go. You've got to keep checking them because if you catch a
3: rat, you catch a stoat. You want to. Once both traps are gone off, the traps basically useless. U- useless. So mm-hmm. we've got to check it, un unset it, record the kill, rebate it, um, and that happens on about a monthly basis. Twelve checks a year. Um, That's where the other type of trap we use, the automatic gas trap, the A24, the good nature A24 trap, has 24 kills, it's a piston triggered by a wee trigger, the animal puts its head up to investigate a bait, touches a trigger plate and a gas operated piston um, smashes it, kills it instantly, crushes its skull. So both of these traps are approved by New Zealand's National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee. Uh, They have to meet very high standards for animal welfare. Uh, So... Uh, We we are only allowed to use NAWAC-approved traps on conservation land for conservation projects. And we have to have particular specifications to stop non-target species getting in and being killed by the traps. Mm -hmm. And I assume you don't...
1: I haven't heard, but you obviously are local. Is there anybody in the anti-hunting? And, uh, you know, you don't have PETA here. You don't have HSUS here. So the SPCA or the Forest and Bird kind of, those are your anti-hunting type organisations. Are they anti what you're doing? Are they anti this idea of predator removal, I won't say pest removal, predator removal of the landscape?
3: No, Forest and Bird are huge supporters of predator control in New Zealand because they value the forests and the native ecosystems and mm-hmm. biodiversity also. Mm-hmm. Um SPCA are concerned with animal welfare primarily Mm -hmm. and so as long as NAWAC approval um, has been granted, um, certified of the devices being used, they're generally okay. We have individuals who set traps off or throw them in the river or are uncomfortable with killing animals and there are places in New Zealand where traps targeted at predators that are threatening our native species are interfered with by people who don't like the thought of killing rats or stoats mm. or cats or mm. you know other things that might be impacting our natives. So there, there is that perspective in society, but at an organisation level, we don't have pushback from organised groups or ent- awesome. organisations. I think forest and bird are very strong supporters of, mm-hmm. of predator control. Mm. What about deer management? I know this is
1: probably the most controversial part of this podcast, but Obviously, there is a lot of a lot of people that are you know they hear deer management, they hear helicopter culling, they hear and and, and they hear ten eighty, but you guys don't use ten eighty here for for deer management, um, and they're like from a hunting community perspective, often they're like, no, that's not what we should be doing. Well,
3: we we. Have to manage the numbers because they have a consequence in our forest. Our f- the future of our forests depends on um, her- a well-managed population. Herbivore densities being yep. in balance. And nature, uh, if the food chain is forest, herbivore, predator. We've always had that in New Zealand. It used to be a large ratite, a moor, a very large bird, yep. living in our forests, eating our plants. Browsing. And the predation came on adults from the world's largest ever eagle, Haas eagle. Um, but in the understory, when the juvenile mole were there, they were targeted by ra- large rails and predatory mm. birds, mm. goshawks, laughing owls. Um, so so there was a balance between the, the plants, the herbivores, and the predators. What we've found in New Zealand is that we've introduced a new type of herbivore without a predator and they boomed when they were first put here and they caused major change to forest structure through browsing uh, selected So what types what did, of what do
1: the sekia deer
3: specifically do to change the, the vegetation structure here in this forest they take out the highly palatable species like the broadleaf and the five-finger and the caprosmas. those are important species because they produce fruit for birds. Mm. Um, they also inhibit forest regeneration of the canopy beech trees, That particularly silver beech is their favoured beech species. It's not a highly palatable species but it's a species they do browse quite heavily in the absence of, of other food sources. And so beech forest naturally collapses of old age or wind damage, storm damage, snow damage and that creates a light pool in the uh, understory and that light pool seedlings on mass, compete for that light pool, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah ultimately, the strongest one will will fill the gap ultimately in a hundred years time We're in the seedling stage, secret deer browse the seedlings to a point when there 's too many deer that the forest canopy doesn 't regenerate, and we end up with completely different uh, what we call caprosma scrub deer lawn a deer lawn is like this hut clearing here, mm-hmm. it's just shaved mm-hmm. um, herbs and grasses mm-hmm. uh, with a few unpalatable divaricating shrubs on it. It's not a forest that doesn't provide uh, habitat for lizards and birds and insects, the same as a tall forest does. So it, it, they create habitat change. What we find is that when we hit the balance between beech forests, sikadere and recreational hunters, and we have that in parts of the Kaimanawas, mm-hmm. um We have functioning ecosystems full of native species, regeneration occurs of the canopy. Um, And so we know as a Seeker Foundation, we have data that shows we can hit the balance, but in so many parts where access is hard, hunting is difficult because of the terrain, the steepness, um, we aren't shooting enough. Hinds in particular, because everyone likes to shoot antlers, um, what, what we need to educate our hunting community around is getting the balance right. And the best way to get the balance is to make sure we remove sufficient female deer to create the, the healthy forest environment.
1: Well, that's the education component
3: of it, right? That's like even
1: in America, the, I think the old adage was like, don't shoot a doe because the deer population was growing, right? Don't shoot the reproductive engine of the population. Mm. Shoot the males. And now it's like it's completely 180 in the States, in that there's op- there's populations here. just get that mosquito off your head. Um, there's there's places where they are like you need to kill, come in and shoot those like four, five, six does. Take them out. We've got a skewed balance, one to four ratio, one to five ratio, one buck to four does, five does. But I want to I want to go back to one thing that you specifically said. There's certain places like where we're in the Kaimanawas right now. You believe recreational hunting is the method by which the balance
3: can be achieved it depends on access it depends on education and it depends on sufficient hunting effort so um, just over the hill here there's a, a road a 19 kilometer road runs right through this type of forest and it has it is the highest used recreational hunting area on public land in new zealand wow and the forest there is absolutely pumping. Every deer is fat. But the the wildlife is thriving in the forest. When the f- canopy falls, it's replaced. Um over time. And we have had cyclones here in the last thirty, forty years where Sounds like a helicopter coming. Or is that a No, that's a oh plane. plane I think that's a plane, yeah. Yep. So the further back you get from the good access, the less Um, pressure there is and so people tend to come in here less often they often come here during the rut to hunt stags so the pressure on the herd shifts off the females and onto the males Mm -hmm. and so we we need to make sure that hunters understand the need to harvest plenty of females Um, it's not just all about the antler Uh, the, the habitat on which the hunting depends relies on hunters shooting sufficient females And you go a little bit further south from here where it's harder to get to, the terrain's even steeper, and we've got the situation where the forest is in big trouble. The Mm. deer are in big trouble because the forest is dying. Yeah, so everything is unhealthy. Correct. The balance has created a lose-lose for conservation and hunting. Yeah, and I think that's the key,
1: right? The the adage of the hunter is, I'm not going to kill that doe because I want more deer for my kids and my grandkids one day.
3: More is not better. It's a finite resource. There's only so many groceries in the store. And once all the groceries are gone, the deer are eating cardboard mm. out the back. You know, And that's what we've got. We see deer, skinny deer with huge paunches full of very, very poor quality food. Mm. And that's how we pitch it to people. There's no more groceries left in the store. They're just eating the cardboard out the back. Jeez. So
1: how do we, because we've talked about the education of the recreational hunter then. What about the education of, we talked about it earlier before we got on the podcast, the education of the helicopter guys, right? Because there's, there's certain helicopter guys that and, that, and this is where the rub meets the road, right? Because the helicopter guys, correct me if I'm wrong, they're doing it from a business perspective.
3: Correct. It's a, it's a commercial activity. And the commercial activity is the sale of the meat? Kilos of venison, kilos of velvet, a very lucrative product on international markets. So how do you convince those helicopter guys
1: to help with the ratio? Because it sounds like all they would be interested in shooting is males too. So you've got a recreational hunter base that is interested only in shooting males. You've got a commercial
3: commercial use base that's only interested in in taking males too. Well, they do shoot females, but... Often when they're targeting velvet, the females are away in maternity and having their fawns. So they've deliberately targeted cover and solitude um, that naturally protects them from a helicopter flying around hunting open country. And then as the fawn grows, um, the family groups become more visible in open country. But uh, by then there's so much damage done to the male part of the population. What we end up with w- is a competition between a recreational hunting sector and a commercial sector. When, in actual fact, what we need is all our management to be complementary, heading mm. a, with a single outcome, and that's what's happened in the and wapiti area. Mm-hmm. The helicopter harvest there is targeted at an outcome a, a low density, high quality, male dominated population, uh, and there's plenty of meat comes off Fieldland. Thousand plus Wapiti deer a year, thousands of kilos of prime meat, but it's targeted at producing a low-density, high-quality herd that's fit for that very special World Heritage southwest New Zealand landscape. Mm. It's a beautiful place, as as you'll see when you go down yeah, there I in a couple of weeks. Hopefully there'll be no rain. <laughs> <laughs> Don't <laughs> bet on it, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the rain is going to follow us. Um. So so the education needs to come from the um, the administrators. Those people who make the decisions around what management is appropriate, mm. and unfortunately, there's been a if it's brown, it's down mentality. as long as you kill some deer, then it's a good thing. Mm. To the point in early 2000s when the venison industry really crashed, there were helicopters flying around parts of New Zealand in springtime, shooting velvet stags landing, cutting the velvet off the stag and f- putting the velvet in the chilli bin and then going on to the next stag. Wow. And I heard a Department of Conservation Officer uh, say when I said, man, that's that's not helpful. He said, oh, at least someone's shooting some deer. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just thought, bro, you just so don't get it. Mm-hmm. You don't understand what that's happening because the stags that aren't shot will still tuck all the hinds that aren't being shot mm-hmm. and you're going to have more deer and more damage. Mm-hmm. It's actually working against the long-term Welfare of that habitat, just flying around shooting velvet and leaving the meat to rot and just taking the velvet. So what's the what's the relationship like today? Is
1: the is there a, is there a good
3: communication
1: between? Because it sounds like it's a trifecta, right? There's the commercial,
3: the recreational, and then you've got whoever the landowner is. And in the public land space, that's the Department of Conservation, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, those are the th- How's that relationship? Is it I, I would assume it's variable? Highly variable. Uh and a lot of helicopter operators fly hunters into the hills to go hunting. So, you know, they're really So heli-
1: seeker would be a company
3: that would shoot seeker deer? They do some work in that space, but primarily they're flying hunters in. Uh in the South Island particular there's a lot of helicopter operators who shoot deer commercially and fly hunters and is a big part of their revenue Mm -hmm. so so there's an important relationship between the helicopter industry in new zealand and recreational hunting what we need to do is work together under a common theme for a common outcome rather than having competitive Mm -hmm. outcomes you've been in the game how long
1: 40 years is is that complementary mindset
3: Versus competitive mindset, better today than it was forty years ago. Only in two places in New Zealand, the Fjord and Wapiti area, and in the Kaimanawa Remote Experience Zone. And that is because of the leadership. Seeker Foundation mm-hmm. and the Wapiti Foundation, mm-hmm. and the advocacy to Department of Conservation, and the relationships we've developed with helicopter companies. Hundred percent. Mm.
1: Tim, what um, what projects do you have for coming down the pipeline from a Seeker Foundation perspective?
2: Yeah, so the main one is the Adaptive Deer Management Plan. Um, What is that? Yeah, so it's essentially (coughs) framing up management units over Kaimanua Kaweka, highlighting areas like the Remote Experience Zone, which we're starting in 15,000 hectares of mountain beach, quite vulnerable, steep, hard country, hard to get to, um, lots of historic overpopulation issues with that herd and subsequent uh damage to habitat. So yes, yes, so that's probably taking most of my time at the moment. So we've framed up the adaptive. So deer what does that look like? Clean. Is that
1: you're you're creating deer quota essentially for different areas and looking for different uh <laughs> Looks like it's getting a little sweaty in there. Yeah, it is one of those boys. It's one of those this yes. eight gentlemen in a hut with the door closed with a fire going. <laughs> it smells probably beautiful in there right yep, now. Yeah, um, And musk. So <laughs> are you putting together um, ratios and quotas in different areas for um, as an adaptive deer management plan?
2: Yeah, so essentially at, at this stage we've focused on the two areas, the Kaimanua res, which is where there's a problem, and we've started management. Uh, we shot 338.
1: What did that look like? What did that management look like?
2: So it was a combination, the first, the first thing was to get recreational hunters in to be involved and to see on the ground what the issues were, to shoot deer, to look at and go, man, I think there is a problem here, and to sort of hunt this country that maybe, hey, this is nice to hunt because it's incredibly open, but hang on a minute, if we've got no seedlings and saplings, um, that's an issue, right? To be seeing these landscapes, to understand, yeah, and to be a part of this journey. So that was the first part. So Is there a hut
3: back there? No. No. It's wilderness. Okay.
1: Yep. And that's what we talked about. And I don't know if it came through to you, Tim, but yep. I told Cam, I said, in those areas where you're going to have a lot of deer, yep. right, lots of shooting opportunities, conservation-based, information research-based, yeah, right? And you're in a place in the world that is wilderness, essentially, that nobody gets to go to. Yep. I think we can sell that. I think we can fundraise the heck out of it and bring a family from America or four or five people from America and say, here, you're going to do this.
3: It's a pretty tough country, though. Yeah, um, but that, that's the only
1: thing. It is, it's, it's probably
3: really steep and really you know tough. But, man… And we're, and we're harvesting the d- density down and down and down mm-hmm. um, because the recreational hunting in the raw as step one, phase one of the res project yep. was just the start of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and Tim will talk you through the next two stages as well. What's the next two stages, Tim?
2: Yeah, so essentially after that, so raising awareness, getting the rec hunters and facilitated rec hunters. Um so What is
1: facilitated rec hunting?
2: Yeah, so essentially because it's a remote experience zone, uh yeah, you can't fly in there, which is essentially part of the problem of under harvest. But yeah, so seek foundation negotiated access landing sites. Um Yeah. So yeah, that's what I mean by facilitated okay. recreational hunter access. Normally you wouldn't be able to fly in there, Kay. but hey we want to increase harvest we want to get the hunting community on board with what's going on we want that contribute um, yeah, we want them them to contribute, that's important. Yeah. so that was stage one, then the next stage was alright we need to get some professional deer management operations underway. Okay. So yeah, and there was a combination of um, an, uh, aerial and Thermal assisted helicopter operation just to really sort of test out different management tools and the effectiveness. Um, yeah.
3: Comes the rain, yeah. small rain. Yep. But largely that was just search and destroy with
1: a okay. helicopter. Okay. Yes.
2: Yep. Yep. Hind focused, you know, just. Hind focused. Yep. yep. Okay. You know, to manipulate. So that's that. happened already? Yep. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, Yep. So that got 30. Wreck hunters shot about 50. Understandably being that time of year, um April a lot of stags got shot. I think two th- uh two thirds were stags. Or more yeah, yeah, yeah. Most were stags, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but we knew that would happen and sure, it was of it was more about just getting hunters in that landscape to see what was going on. Okay. Um Yeah. And then after that was the professional uh ground hunters using indicator. How many dogs. how many
1: um how many deer got taken with the professional
2: guys? Oh, 260. Okay. Yeah. Yep.
3: Did you have a target? Uh, we were hoping to remove three or 400. Okay. Yep. And what did we hit total for the whole year?
2: 338.
3: So, yeah. You know, um, we, we were pretty comfortable. We collected an enormous amount of data. Yes. Yep. You know, do you want to just talk through all of yeah. those.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So essentially... Or the ground hunter operations hind focused as well, and just the sheer amount of data we could get from from those hinds. So um, all of those real key herd health indicators. <coughs> so reproductive rates, um, stomach contents. You know what are they eating? Um, quite sort of extensive condition scoring to really gauge, especially at that at that time of year. You know when the vegetational growth is at its least and it's essentially the hardest for the animals then on top of that you've got hinds that if they've had a successful breeding the previous year you know they're sustaining a fawn if they've done really well um you know they might have um yeah they might have a yearling still on them okay so that's yeah like so when you're gauging your herd health indicators through winter and spring that's essentially a snapshot into when they're doing it the hardest so that's a really, really effective time of year to gauge health, yep. essentially. Yep, yep. And then on top of that, all of the jaw bones were taken out as well. So we get the skeletal measurement, which essentially tells us how well those deer have done in the first three to four years of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an indication of yeah, how much how much tucker and what sort of minerals and stuff they've had access to. And then the age of the animal as well. And that's and that's really really critical to understand the current uh, the current herd structure.
1: So what's next? You obviously have done a, an, a yeoman's
3: effort to start this thing.
2: Yeah. So S-
3: over summer we got on there and measured seedling regeneration. Yeah, I was going to say there has yeah. to be a vegetation what, component to this. What's the habitat doing? Yes. Um, have we got regeneration on canopy damage sites? Mm. Uh, in that particular place, there's a lot of can- canopy damage. Yep. Um, the age structure showed there's a couple of cohorts missing from the population yeah. in the age structure there were virtually no four year olds or three year olds yeah um, interesting uh a few yearlings very few two year olds so it showed that they had stopped breeding oh okay. because the habitat was in such poor condition mm yeah and then twenty twenty three um just keep the foot on the throat really,
2: yeah. Uh, so you're going to so that okay.
1: So you're going to send more hunters in remote experience, facilitated remote
3: experience, more yes. professional culling. There's ten parties in there this April, okay. uh, facilitated through permission from Department of Conservation and their. Conservation. You have
1: more people than you can accommodate.
3: Uh, we had quite a few people inquire, um, but we ended up uh, with just ten parties. So I think people heard there were 360 deer had come off there. I thought, oh, I'm not going there. Oh, okay. Um, But people have still expressed an interest to go and understand and be part of it and experience that place. That
1: experience would be part of the reason why you you wanted to go. And plus the
3: place. Nobody gets to go there, typically. Yeah. Yeah. So some more aerial work, some more ground hunting, Mm -hmm. further vegetation monitoring. Mm Mm-hmm. We need to know how far down do you need to push the herd before the forest responds. Yeah. We don't know what that trigger point is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll just keep pushing. But you have no idea the size of the population, right? No. It's so difficult. There's no way for you to get an accurate population count. No. Yeah. And you can't use fecal palate counting um, scats because the quality of the food in there is so poor the throughput of vegetation through the yeah. mm. the rumen, through the gut system of the deer, is just massive. They mm. put through kilos and kilos and kilos and of... Kilos of shit everywhere. Terrible, so you think you've got poor a quality. Of and there's just shit everywhere over the whole place. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not actually that many deer, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, it's um, it's definitely a unique system, number one. Obviously, the ecosystem's amazing, right? It's almost, as I said, I think it's, it's almost... Like, I've never been to southeast Alaska and it's pissing down rain, but it feels almost like that. It's got ferns and moss everywhere, it's spongy, it's, you know, um, but it's got cool deer running around, and the management is something, as you said, it's just something you have to do. Yep. And if hunters aren't in here doing it,
3: Doc's not in here. Some places Doc would be in, right? But this doesn't rank up high enough, unfortunately. Um, on the priority list. On the priority list. So there would be nobody in there if it wasn't for us. Mm. Protecting the wildlife, protecting the biodiversity, protecting it. Period. Having a forest full of interesting wildlife to hunt mm-hmm. into the future for not just us or our kids, but future generations. It's a long-term game.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I would encourage everyone to look at or Google the Seeker Foundation. Is the
3: you have a website? I assume. www.seekerfoundation.co.nz. Yep, very comprehensive, um, science-rich, image-rich website.
1: And uh, people that are listening to this saying, man, I've always wanted to hunt a seeker deer. Where we're standing right now is completely publicly accessible. Someone from the United States could come, hire a helicopter, or even
3: walk their ass in here and hunt. Yep, hunting permits are free. You just apply online, and then that turns up in, um, yep. in your inbox that says you're yep. wounded. Yeah, um, and and you come, and you may find other public hunters here. So safety is something that we all have to be mindful of, of at course. all times. But of course, um, yeah, it's not just about shooting a deer; it's about experiencing, experiencing place. the place. Yeah,
1: and you can hunt whenever. You can come in here
3: whenever you want. 12 months of the year. You 12 months of the year, you can't, can't hunt. hunt at night after the hours of darkness. Um, and you can take as much as you want. You can shoot as many deer as you like, Yep. Yeah. Any but age class. Yep, fawns to stags to but does. But given this conversation. <laughs> we would prefer people to target hinds if they have the opportunity to take a hind a or take two. Take out a couple of hinds. Yep. Get your good stag.
1: Help the ecosystem. Cam. Tim, thank you. Tim, congratulations on your first podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. It's been relatively painless.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cam, pleasure as always. Thank you, mate. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's
3: right to convey the truth around hunting.